0: God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples who will reflect His glory in all spheres of life. The Bible describes and confirms this mission from beginning to end. Woven into the creation of Adam and Eve, the mission extended to all nations through God's promise to Abraham. Jesus took up this same mission and taught it to His disciples. Today, those who follow Christ take on His mission— We were designed to reflect His glory in every sphere of life, not only in this present life, but in the life which is to come throughout the heavens and the earth. Until then, will you give your life to God? Will you join His mission? Well, good morning, Northland. It is good to see you. Good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 or if... Your Bible is on a device. You can turn it on to Genesis chapter 1. All right, so we're going to play a game. Now, if you've already been part of this game at the 9 o'clock or last night, you cannot participate, all right? You're going to ruin it for everybody else. So we're going to play a game this morning, and it's called Guess the Company. I'm going to read some mission statements of companies that you would know of. After I read the mission statement, you've got to yell out what company's mission statement that is. Everybody understand the rules? All right, so let's start. You ready? Here we go. If not, here it comes. All right, here's the first mission statement. We strive, and you got to, again, pick which company it is. We strive to offer our customers the lowest possible prices, the best available selection, and the utmost convenience. All right, did you know that? All right, hang on. All right, I think we got some cheaters in the room. we got to pray for them. We've got to pray for them. All right, here, here's the next one. Now, this one's an easy one. To bring the best personal computing products and support to students, educators, designers, scientists, engineers, business persons, and consumers in over one hundred and forty countries around the world, that would be Apple, Apple. 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 not Microsoft <laughs> I, did I do that sorry I did not mean to do that at all. <laughs> oh the no. Uh, I this will be fun. I've not done this yet. All right. How, how, how many Microsoft people out there? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. I, I see two of you. All right. How many Apple people out there say, I mean, well, I'm just saying, just saying. All right. I don't know what I'm saying, but here we are. Here's the next company's mission statement to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. That would be survey so says Nike. All right. All right. This, this one's, this one should be easy. To entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling, reflecting the iconic brands, creative minds, and innovative technologies that make ours the world's premier entertainment company. Okay, if you missed that one, then you're not from Florida. All right, this this, is a tricky one right here, tricky one. To be the premier quality food retailer in the world... <laughs> so, that, yeah, I, you probably had to work there because it's so funny. The reason why I find that one funny is like Publix—they're in like three states. <laughs> How are they like the world's? Amazing. They got a long way to go with their mission <laughs> statement. All right, here, here's another one. Here's another one: fulfilling lives every day. Fulfilling lives every day. Survey says wawa. Now, I want to talk to the company execs because it should be fueling lives every day. But don't. Anyway, sorry. All right, this is the last one, last one, last one. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with us. (laughs) It is Chick fil A. No lie, like last night at 9 o'clock, when I said that mission statement, I'm talking about Northland. And I'm like, where? Like, anyways, like it's a great mission statement. And it is funny that that mission statement comes from a chicken company. Anyways, why'd you do this exercise, Pastor Josh? Well, because every company, every business, it seems, has a mission statement. And if you think about why they would even craft a mission statement, because it teaches people what the organization is all about. It clarifies the scope of what the organization seeks to accomplish. It keeps people focused and it hopefully motivates and drives them towards an intended purpose. That's what mission statements do. I want you to think about it. These companies, think about how many hours and how much money they have spent to craft their mission statement of why it would even be important to multi-billion dollar companies. And here's my question. What is humanity's mission statement? Like what's humanity's mission statement? Corporately, what is our mission statement? Again, going back to these billion dollar companies, they spend so much time, so much energy, so much money crafting a mission statement so that they can tell people what their organization is about, so that they can motivate their employees, so that they can drive their employees to their intended purpose. And so if these billion dollar companies that we buy stuff from, that we go to their things like every day or every week or every month, if they spend so much time crafting the mission statement, shouldn't we think of a mission statement for humanity? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, 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 what is life all about? Why, why do we breathe? What's the ultimate purpose? Like, I believe that these questions, they form the most base, basic questions around what the human longs for to understand the why to life. Like, in fact, this kind of question, this idea of the purpose of life, it's one that Gen Z struggles with. They just don't know why they're here. They don't know why they breathe. They don't know why they do the things that they do. And so they're longing, they're yearning for the deep meaning of life. And the church has it. The church has it. And so here's the main point that we're going to flesh out. Humanities are humanity was made for God's mission. Humanity was made for God's mission. Now, the question that would follow would be, what's God's mission? Well, I'm glad that you asked, here's God's mission. To create a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So humanity, you, me, we, We're made for God's mission. What's God's mission? To create a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. So with that in mind, let's stand, because we're going to see it right here in Genesis chapter 1. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. We believe that the Bible is the breathed-out word of God that he had given to men throughout the ages and that they penned his words, and we have them for us today, And so when we read it, we're honoring the reading of the word as if Jesus himself was here speaking to us. And so in verse 26, let me give you some backdrop. So day one, day two, day three, this is the fascinating part about Genesis, is that God creates the systems and the structures that will house the life he creates in day four, day five, day six. It just is the beauty of God's intentionality and design. And so in day six, he is going to create the crescendo of his creation, which is humanity. And that's where we pick up in verse 26. Then God said... Let us. Now, who's us? Is it God and the angels? No, most scholars would say that let us refers to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Josh, can you explain the Trinity to us? I really cannot. And I don't think it would do any justice to explain something of great mystery, divine mystery. Yeah, people have tried to, like, you know, I'm Josh the husband, Josh the father, Josh the pastor. But, you know, that still even falls short. But what we have in Scripture is one God in three distinct. Persons, God, the Godhead comes together and says, Let us make mankind, humanity, in our image and in our likeness. Why? Why did He create them? Well, we see it in the latter part. So that, so anytime you see so that, just ask why. So that, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the sky, over the livestock. And the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own what? In the... Of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And what did God do? Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply or increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In those verses, we see the mission of God start with humanity to create a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Let's Pray, Father. I pray that you would be glorified at Jesus. I pray we would be more conformed into your image as a result of sitting under your word. Spirit, will you go to work, moving in our midst to shape us and conform us more into the image of our King? I pray that we would leave different than when we came here this morning as a result of your presence in our midst. I pray for those people uh, here online. They are far from you. They're trying to figure out the why of life. Why do they breathe? Why? They live. I pray, Spirit, that you will deposit in their heart uh, this drawing mechanism that they were created for you and for your glory and your renown. And may you transform them even today. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. "Amen." You may be seated. All right. So here we go. We got three parts. I won't keep you all day, but we got three parts to the message, and. One of the things that is helpful to understand, and maybe some of you have heard it before, but if you wanted to kind of get a framework for understanding the totality of scripture from Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, to Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, here's a good framework. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's a great framework from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. What we will see this morning is actually three of those parts. We'll see creation, we'll see fall, and we'll see redemption all in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, which means the book of beginnings. I mean, that's fascinating. So so four overall made, you know, kind of parts to Scripture, and we'll see three of them this morning. And so part number one is creation. Now under creation, I'm going to give you three statements or unpack three statements. Statement number one, who humans are, who humans are. Now I think it's important to note there is a distinction between the animal kingdom and humanity. The animal kingdom was not created in God's image or likeness. Therefore, cute monkeys don't have the image or likeness of God. Weird looking, no flying ostriches do not have the image or likeness of God. Majestic bald eagles do not have the image or likeness of God. Graceful dolphins don't have the image or likeness of God. Powerful lions do not have the image or likeness of God. Breathtaking blue whales do not have the image or likeness of God. And we sure know gnats and mosquitoes mosquitoes, and even snakes don't have the image or likeness of God. Now, they they all have God's glory, and they have embedded within him, in them, their, their, their DNA of God's creativity, because, I mean, he had to be very creative to create some of those animals. But it was humanity that was created in the image and likeness of God. Now, what does that mean? Why why the distinction? Well, this is fascinating because most scholars would say that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, including Genesis. And at the time that Moses wrote Genesis, there was this practice in the known world of kings and emperors that they would erect statues of themselves and they would put them in far flung corners of their territory, signifying that their rule and reign extended to those boundaries. And so what God is doing through the creation of humanity is that he's extending his rule and reign from the heavens now to planet Earth through the creation of human beings. So now we are the image bearers of God. We are the living statues that have been created to reflect God's rule and reign from the heavens now to planet Earth. So the thing that you can actually think of when you think of humanity is that we are the mirrors of god we are meant to reflect now how many of you used a mirror this morning yeah i think almost all of us and if you're sitting to next next to somebody that has some crazy hair either that was intentional or they didn't have a mirror but but I, I, love, I, I love mirrors, and, and maybe that makes me vain or whatnot, but I, I just love mirrors because it gives me a reflection of myself so I can make sure that my hair is all, you know, all my hairs are in the right place. That's why I don't like anybody to touch my hair. So, like, when my son wants to mess up my hair, he's grounded for at least a month because do not touch my hair. Now, I, I, I love it because it also makes me, you know, kind of be able to look and say, all right, do I, do I match? Does my watch band match my shoes? and does it match my belt? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Man, that's what we have to do these days. We gotta match. Oh, yeah. Anyways, but, the, but when you look at the mirror, it helps give a reflection of who you are. We are the mirrors of God meant to reflect who God is throughout the created order. Now, what specifically are we imaging or reflecting God? Well, we're reflecting his glory, meaning we're reflecting his weight, his significance, his beauty, his splendor, his majesty, his characteristics, his nature, his attributes, his lordship and kingship. When we reflect God's glory, we are reflecting all of the above. Now, how specifically are we reflecting his likeness? Well when when he created us not only in his image but his likeness that means that we are spiritual beings we're eternal beings we are moral beings like so for instance how many of you have a pet you know dog all right how many of you have a cat We'll pray for you. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm just joking. Just making sure you're paying attention. All right, so the Laxons, we have a dog. His name is Mater. Now, Mater, he, he has no moral, moral inclination about him whatsoever. So yesterday, I get done with the long run. I come back to the house. They get me a big old glass of ice water. I'm sitting at the pool, just cooling off. And that sucker has the audacity to come and start drinking my water. That's wrong, bro, that's wrong. But he didn't know it. He is not not a moral being. Like, we are emotional beings. We are rational beings. We're intellectual and creative beings. We are relational and communal beings. We have the capacity for deep fellowship and intimacy. Why? We were created in the likeness of God to reflect that likeness to the created order. Therefore, human beings... We are created with great purpose, great value, great worth. That is the reason why, church, listen. We have a value system that holds to the sanctity of life because we are different than the animal kingdom. We believe as Christians, because this is what the Bible teaches, that a human life is more valuable than a dog, more valuable than a cat, more valuable than a whale, more valuable than any endangered species like a giant panda, a tiger, a blue whale, an Asian elephant, a snow leopard, or a gorilla. That's the reason why we will always hold to the sanctity of human life. This is who we are. We are image bearers of God. Now, some of you today, you might need to be reminded or you might need to be told for the first time that you are not a mistake. You are not a menace. You are not too far gone. You are not your disease. You are not your illness. You are not your addiction. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have great value. You have great worth. You have the very divine imprint of God on your life. God loves you. God is for you. He has a purpose and there is a point to your existence. Why? Because you are an image bearer of God. So that's who you are, that's that's who humans are. The second statement is this, what humans do. So I want you to to notice though that that who we are lays the foundation for what we do. Now we read in verse 28, God blessed the, the humans and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is, this is fascinating. So he tells humanity, this is who you are. You are image bears created out of my image and in my likeness. Now I'm going to tell you what to do. What is fascinating today is that when you meet somebody for the first time after learning their name, what's typically the second question you ask them? What do you do and see in our culture we like to identify ourselves in our function in what we do I'm a teacher I'm a plumber I'm a pastor I'm a and and so we identify ourselves in our function which is why we're so messed up when it comes to our life is because our identity was never to be found in what we do so I'm going to give I don't like math. I was never really good at math, but I want to give you a sequential formula today to help steer your life in the right direction. Here it is. Who I am, which is your identity, plus what I do is your function equals whom or what I reflect. So the Bible tells us in Genesis one, here's who we are. We are image bearers of God. Then he tells them in verse 28, this is what you do. And if you get that right, if you get your identity right, and which leads to your function, then you will properly image me in the world. But if you get it out of order, and if you find your identity in anything other than God, then you will have a, you will have a distorted image that you are reflecting in the world. And whatever that distorted image actually shows you who your God or what your God is. Which is why, once again, many in our culture, they are broken over who they are and what they are to do. Now, there's five things that God tells humanity to do. So be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, and rule. And so what I wanna do is I wanna condense those down into three easy functions that you can remember, and here they are. Relate, create, operate. Relate, create, operate. What do humans do? They relate, they create, they operate. What do they do? Everybody say it on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three, they relate, create, operate. That's what humans do. So let's look at relate. Be fruitful and multiply. So let's look a little bit deeper into that relational component. It would begin vertically with God, so they're to relate to God, then to one another. You will never be able to relate horizontally in a fruitful way unless you have attached yourself in a healthy way to God in a vertical way. So they're to be fruitful and multiply. So humans are to be fruitful. At the heart of being fruitful speaks of being relationally healthy. Now, why are humans to multiply? Again, I'm just gonna deposit this in, in, in your brain. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later on in this series. But the reason why human beings were to multiply and fill the earth is because, once again, God wanted to bring heaven to earth. He wanted to extend his rule and reign to earth. And now, as image bearers would multiply and fill, guess what would happen? God's glory would fill the earth. That's the reason why Psalm and Habakkuk talks about that. So that's the reason why they are. Are fruitful, and as they multiply and fill, God wanted to extend his rule and reign to cover planet Earth where his glory would fill the entire created order. Now, what, what constitutes, I think this is a good question that would help us out this, this morning. What constitutes a healthy relationship? So if we're going to be fruitful and multiply, well, what constitutes that kind of fruitful relationship? Well, I'm glad that you asked that this morning. Here, here's a couple of just ideas. Based upon Genesis. One breathes life into others. Like one of the things that we see when God created Adam is that he lays there lifeless. And what does he do? He breathes life into Adam and he becomes a living being. Let me ask you this. How are you breathing life into your spouse? How are you breathing life into your children? How are you breathing life into your coworkers? How are you breathing life into your family members and friends? Like what do you, because here's what our culture actually does is that they look at relationships to what those relationships can give to them. And then what happens? You become a leech on them, and you suck the life out of that relationship. So breed life into others. Give your life in a way that gives them life. Here's another: be present and engaged. Don't be aloof or isolated. Here's here's a great thing that we see about God: God's present. God is engaged in His creation, especially His relationship with Adam. Like, are you engaged, or are you aloof? Are you distant? And then work to create a solid, good, functioning environment whereby they can flourish. Like God is working to to provide an environment where Adam and Eve can flourish. Let me ask you this. In your relationships, are you providing a structure? Are you providing a system? Are you providing an environment whereby your people around you can flourish? And then here's another thing that constitutes a healthy relationship. Celebrate them. Say words of affirmation. Give words of encouragement. I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, you did a good thing. Thank you so much. Like you're celebrating them. That's what constitutes a healthy, fruitful relationship. So we relate. What's the second thing humans do? We create. Well, Josh, what does that mean? Well, here we see that they are to subdue the ground which speaks of taking the raw materials and making something of it. Now this is what is so fascinating to me. So God, he's created the heavens and the earth, and every day he looks at what he has created and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And now on day six, he has created humanity and has told them, I want you to subdue the earth. Basically, what God is telling them to do is to take these raw materials that he has created, that he has deemed good, and he wants them to enhance creation. Like That's part of how they're going to mirror him is that God went to work creating. Now they're going to go to work making something out of what God has created. Just think about it. So, So they are to cultivate this cultivating actually leads to culture and this culture that they create would actually lead to civilization. So let's go back to the mirror. All right, so as they cultivate the raw materials and they make something of the world, it's going to lead to culture, which will lead to a civilization, thereby a kingdom reflecting God's glory in all spheres of life. And so when it comes to creating, when it comes to work, when it comes to vocation, when it comes to careers, it's a good thing. I mean, God had had work, God had a career, God had a vocation. He was a gardener at first. And so when it comes to how we think about cultivating, when it comes to how we think about work, there is a difference in why we work. Like, you don't go to work. If you are a child of the king, if you are a Christian, you do not ultimately go to work for a paycheck. That is not why you work. You work because your creator went to work, and work is good. That's why if you go to work to get a paycheck, that paycheck may not, may, may not mean anything to you. But if you go to work working for your Savior, then it changes your perception. And then there's a difference on how we work. Let me ask you this. You think God showed up late to work on day one through six? And if he was running 10 minutes late, he's probably calling God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Hey, running 10 minutes behind. You think think God fudged on his his time sheet? No. No, he didn't. Like, see, God worked in a way that he could look back and go, it's good, it's good. Let me ask you this, every day that you go to work, do you look back and see what you you did as, I mean, that's good, that's good, that's good. You, You see, there was a rhythm to God's work. There was a goodness to his work. There was a quality to his work. There was a determination to his work. So when it comes to how we work, there is a distinction as the people of God because it is embedded in how God worked in creation. And then th- th- there's a distinction of what we hope to accomplish with our work. What we hope to accomplish. Now I find it fascinating that when I read some articles about what Americans hope to accomplish with their work, well, I just hope I make enough money for the weekend because I want to go drinking and I want to I want to go riding my sedus and I want to go play golf. That's why. That's what I'm hoping to accomplish with my work. Good for you. <laughs> but that's not what we hope to accomplish with our work. What, what did God hope to accomplish with his work? He wanted to create a, a earth that brought about the flourishing of life, that brought about the flourishing of the animal kingdom, that brought about the flourishing of vegetation, that brought about the flourishing of humanity. So what we hope to accomplish with our work is not to earn a paycheck, not to pay the bills, or not to obtain or maintain a certain lifestyle, but to create an environment and an earth that is glorifying to God, that brings about the flourishing of all people. That's what we hope to accomplish. So think about some of your professions and vocations. So students, let me start with you. Whether you are in middle school, high school, or even college, or maybe you're in a graduate program, you are learning knowledge that helps you make sense of the world. Things like math and the construction of numbers to solve problems, to build things. English, like I'm still learning English because I came from the South, so you can pray for me. But, but English will help you take words and communicate effectively. Science will help you understand how the natural and social world are constructed and operate. And why do you learn all all of those things so that you can bring about the flourishing of the world. Not because your mama and your daddy told you, you gotta go to school. That's not why. <laughs> or, or Yeah, you, you keep clapping, but here, here let me go. Like a, Anybody like to cook out there? Baker, chef, cook? All right, now I, I'm gonna talk to you raised your hand, all right. So when you go to cook, let me ask you this. Do you just wanna cook something that's edible? Yes. Well, no, 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 you... <laughs> See, this is why I'm talking to the people who raised their hand. All right. Because the ones that did not raise their hand, you just want to cook something that's edible and then won't make your family sick. So I'm talking to those who raised your hand. Because not everybody's called to cook. Can I get amen? Don't, 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 point, don't, don't nudge your spouse. All right. Don't, don't, don't nudge your spouse. But but if you love to cook you're taking the raw materials you're taking the ingredients and you're wanting to create something that makes people's taste buds sing like that, and why do we do this? Why are we trying to create a, an environment whereby people sing while people elicit feelings of emotions of joy? Because if you think about how we you know, sit at the beach and we look out into the ocean, we see a sunset or we go to the mountains or we're just on a walk and we're looking around the creation that, that we see makes us sing to God. And through what we create, how we go to work, our careers and our vocations, should elicit these emotions that make people sing that make people go what in the world is going on and we just point them right to God God is doing this through us to bring about the flourishing of the world through what we create you say I'm a stay-at-home parent well here's the thing you are working seriously you are working to ensure the home functions at its highest capacity and that is a job So is what you are cultivating glorifying God? And see, the church has lost that. We we are cultural consumers first before we are ever, that's what we've been taught, but no, 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 no. We are culture creators. And the third thing, anybody remember what the third thing humans do is? We operate. So what does that mean? We exercise dominion everything that humanity was to do was to be done under the lordship of god so our oldest he has his license so you can pray for him us and other drivers on the streets so but one of the things that Joni and i we love about caleb is that he understands the the significance of driving and the power of a car when we drive a car, we are really operating under two rules. We are operating under how you just operate that vehicle. Like, you know, what, what the brake is, what the accelerator is, what's parked, what's drive, what's reverse, uh, where are the headlights, you're, you're operating. And here's the thing, like you gotta operate that vehicle rightly if you want it to act rightly, right? So you just cannot operate the vehicle however you want. The the second kind of rule that governs our, our driving is the state of Florida. They have created road rules or laws to govern how we drive. You can't just drive any way. Well, I guess you can drive any way you want to, but you better be ready to be, get pulled over and a ticket. Like when, when we moved to Winter Springs, they told us that when you drive on 434, you better be careful because cops are always out there looking for someone to pull over. So do you know how fast I go on 434? I go 50 miles an hour. What's the speed limit, Josh? It's 50 miles miles an hour. You might even find me sometimes driving 47, 48 as if I'm driving Miss Daisy. But the thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to honor the rules of the road because I'm operating under another authority. You see, when it comes to human beings, we are We are to operate under the lordship of God. He's our creator. He's our maker. He's our king. So therefore our thoughts should be taken captive. Our finances should be seen as his, not ours. Our decisions should be weighed out in what he wants, not what we want. We should care for creation. We should lead sacrificially with integrity and humility. We should be generous and not greedy. We should be truthful and not deceptive. Why? Because we are operating our life and every Thing that consists of our life under the authority of God. Now, yeah. so how does that work, Josh? Like how does imaging God work? Well, I'm glad that you asked. You, you, you get, just write this passage down. Genesis 2:15 through 17. I'll put it on the screen behind me. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So how do we image God? So we know, we know that we are image bearers, we know our functions, but now in our identity and our function, how do we make sure that we image God? You gotta listen to his word. So now he has created Adam, he's put Adam in a garden. And he tells Adam, listen, you are free to roam about the garden. You can have from any tree that you want except this one tree. And I know people would sit there and go, well, could, could God have just taken out the tree? Like, could, could he have just put Adam and eventually Eve in the garden where there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil? Where he could have, you know, they could have just roamed and done whatever they wanted to do under. Yeah, I mean, No. Here's the reason why God put the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the garden So adam and eve would never be tempted that it was their garden See every time that they would look at that tree the the tree of knowledge and good and evil guess what they would be reminded It's not their garden. They didn't create this. This is not theirs. They are just stewards operating under whose it is That's why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was planted there. And so God is now giving his word to actually be the framework for how they steward and govern all of their life, making sure that they reflect his glory. So the only way to reflect God's glory is to submit to his rule and reign revealed by his word which is why we will always be a word-centered church. I'm gonna preach the word because it's what governs us. It's how we reflect. (laughs) Anyways, all right, I'm getting, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going, yeah. Let me, I gotta get back to my, all right, here we go. Part two, we're in part two. I'm gonna be short here, part two. And part three, very short. So we had creation, part one. What's part two? Fall. So, Everything I just said up into this point, we're like, "Yeah, this is awesome! Men, humans are created in God's image. We relate, create, operate under God's rule." What happened? Because that's not kind of what we see. Uh, here's what happened. Let me let me show you what happened. Let me show you what happened. Uh, sin happened. See, Adam. And Eve, they sinned, they disobeyed God and thereby they shattered the image of God on their life. That's why as human beings, we are distorted, we are fragmented, we are broken people because of sin. So I I want you to think about how sin affected us. It affected us ontologically by our very nature. We, We are sinners by our nature. Personally, sexually, relationally, vocationally, operationally, we are broken. And as a result of sin, humanity would experience a severing and a separation from God. They would experience chaos and catastrophes, hurt and heartache, suffering and strife, vileness and violence, dissatisfaction and depression, thorns and thistles, darkness and disasters and diseases and death. See, all of that was not part of God's original creation and his original design. Sin brought that into the world. Now, the question that I think some people have, maybe a lot of people, well, why did God let it happen? Do you think that's a fair question? Like, like, like why, why, God, if, you, if this is what you intended, why did you let this happen? Why did you let sin enter the world? Why did you let the serpent slither into the garden, start talking to Eve and deceive her and then turn around and give the, the forbidden fruit or forbidden thing from the tree to, to Adam and let, let him eat it? Why, God, why? And where did even the serpent come from? Well, the serpent is the devil or Satan. And we see where he came from in Ezekiel 28 and 14. Both of those describe the fall of Satan. Long story, he was a angel who was kicked out of heaven because he wanted God's position. And instead of destroying him, God let him roam the earth. So why? Why did God allow the serpent to exist, to roam the earth and then to tempt Eve? Well, I want you to think about this progression, this process. So God creates the heavens and the earth to display his glory. Satan is a created being, an angel that fell, that rebelled against God's glory, his rule, and he led a rebellion of angels. God then, he, after kicking them out of heaven, God then creates his prized earthly creation, mankind, in his image so that he can have a relationship with them so that they might reflect his glory, his kingdom, his characteristics, his attributes, and his nature throughout planet earth. And God is so good to them and he plants a garden and puts them in that garden. He gives them freedom to cultivate the garden with hopes of expanding the garden to the point where the Garden of Eden would cover the planet. Satan then comes along and he tries to destroy everything that God had created. He tries to destroy man's perspective and view of God, that God isn't good. He tried to destroy man and women's relationship with one another, which is why he attacks Eve, not Adam. He is attacking man's obedience to God and thus man's relationship to God. And so he's thinking that if I, can, if I can thwart what God's doing in humanity, he will do with them what he did to me and all of the other angels. He'll kick them out and he'll wipe them out. And that's exactly what was unfolding in Satan's mind when Adam and Eve sinned and they ate from the forbidden tree. And for a moment there, Satan probably thought he had succeeded. And could you imagine if if you were the, the serpent at that time after Adam and Eve had ate from the forbidden tree, you're perched up in the tree waiting on God to come through to see what he would do. And so God, he comes into the garden in the cool of the day. And he's not coming the way you expected him to come. You expected him to come with vengeance and power to overthrow Adam and Eve and to kick them out because of what they had done, because that's what he did to you and the rebellion that you led. But when God shows up into the garden, he actually says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam comes out of hiding, then Eve. He's like, Adam, what happened? And then Adam's like, well, the woman you gave me. And then the woman's like, well, the serpent. And so you you are thinking as the serpent, you're thinking, oh, this is about to be good. But it does not turn out the way you thought because God is going to show them grace. God is going to show them mercy. God's going to do for them what he did not do for you. And he's going to establish this conflict and hostility between the serpent and humanity. And what will that conflict, what will it be over? It will be over God's glory. And there's two facets to God's glory, and we gotta see this. The first facet is God's supremacy. It's over his rule and reign. See, he's going to allow Satan to continue to roam a defeated life in an effort to steal, kill, and destroy and to deceive humanity. And why does God allow that to happen? Because you will never, here's the thing, you will never find from Genesis to Revelation a God of the Bible that coerces or forces people to love him. And so he has allowed Satan to roam the earth to deceive, to steal, kill, and destroy so that you and I can choose God, not ourselves. It's over God's supremacy. And then it's over God's grace because guess what we don't choose god adam and eve didn't choose god and you could you could sit there and you can be all high and mighty well if i was in the garden i'd have choose god no you would have <laughs> which is why now there's this conflict and hostility that's been created over god's glory to demonstrate his grace See, God's going to give humanity another chance and another chance and another chance to live under his rule and reign. So in other words, God has established this conflict between the serpent and humanity because he wants to give the serpent a front row seat to witness something that he never witnessed, which is grace which is why we are sitting where we are sitting today so that we can, we can experience the love of God. We can experience the grace of God. We can experience the mercy of God. We can experience the forgiveness of God. We can experience the new life of God because he didn't do with humanity what he did to the serpent. And praise be to God. Amen. And then part three, which leads me to part three, so how did God respond? So he is going to punish humanity and he is going to kick them out of the garden. But he's going to do two particular things before he kicks them out of the garden, which is a foreshadowing of what is to come. What are those two things? First of all, he issues a promise. Here's his promise, Genesis three fifteen, And I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse is what many scholars refer to as the first gospel. In other words, this line of God is embedded hope for humanity. But what on earth does this good news mean? Well, I want you to think deeply about this. There's a seed, there's a singular seed, that there's a person that's going to come from Eve but this seed, so this, so this seed will be human, but this seed will stand firm in the midst of temptation. So it's not just gonna be any human. It's gonna to have to be some kind of divine human being because Adam and Eve did not even stand firm in the midst of temptation. This seed will decisively defeat the serpent. You see what Adam, and, I haven't said this before, in, in any of the gatherings. But Adam, in Genesis 2, 15, he was to guard and to keep the garden. Meaning that he was to act as a priest so that if anything unclean came into the garden, he was to kick it out. But he didn't do it. He let Eve talk to the deceptive servant Serpent. And so this seed, though, will decisively defeat the serpent by striking his head. And this seed would bring life and flourishing, reversing the curse of sin. So there's this promise that God gives humanity in Genesis 3.15. But then it's not just a promise. There's also a provision. Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What drove Adam and Eve into hiding? Because they were what? Shame Shame from, they realized they were naked. They realized they were butt naked. That's a Southern expression. (laughs) And if you ask me to spell naked, I I don't know how to spell it. Because I know I don't say it right because I'm from Tennessee. Still learning the English language. There you go. But when Adam and Eve, when they ate from the fruit, the Bible says the the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked so they realized there's this shame there's this guilt there's this embarrassment that entered into humanity and so when God came to the garden guess what they did they hid because of their nakedness but now we see in Genesis 3 the Lord God made some garments of skin to clothe Adam and Eve so what drew them out of hiding now God is going to provide for them so that there would not be any more shame. There would not be any more guilt. There would not be any more embarrassment because God's clothed humanity in a satisfactory way. And so, Josh, why do you tell us all of this? Because if you fast forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you will see a man, a God-man show up by the name of Jesus and he is the fulfillment of the promise and the provision that God made in Genesis 3. He is the God-man come to defeat the serpent. He is the God-man come to reverse the curse of sin. He is the God-man now because of his substitutionary death on the cross in our place. Now we are clothed by his righteousness. We are clothed by his blood so that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, the better Adam. And what is so interesting is that if you read some places like Colossians 3.10, 1 Corinthians 15 and romans 8 all in the new testament listen to what first corinthians 15 talks about and just as we have borne the image of the earthly man adam so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man jesus christ so now god god through jesus is repairing he's repairing the damaged image so now because of Jesus, we can relate to God. Because of Jesus, we can find our true identity in him. Because of Jesus, we can relate, we can, we can create, we can operate in a manner that brings God glory. Because of Jesus and what he has done, he has put his spirit in us so that we might listen to his word and heed his word and do what it says because he's the better Adam, come to repair. Which, is, which leads me to the last point that I will make and I'll put it on the screen. It leads to the second iteration of God's mission and here it is. God is on mission to redeem a people to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. He started out to create, but mankind sinned. And instead of leaving mankind in our brokenness, in our darkness, in our sin, God, God chose to pour out his grace, his mercy, his love, pursue us to redeem us. So what Jesus did on the cross, he purchased our filth, he purchased our shame, he purchased our sin so that we might be reconciled and redeemed. This is why i preach with such passion and conviction and urgency because it is by the gospel I stand up here. It is by the gospel I have been transformed. It is by the gospel that we are going to be mobilized into the people of God to participate in his mission of redeeming a people Amen. to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. <clears throat> Jesus, we do pray that we would be that people but we know that we cannot do it on our own. That's why we need the spirit of God living in us and through us to participate in this grand mission. I pray that we would be people that really are the salt and light of the world, that we are demonstrating to the world what it truly means to be human because our identity is embedded in you which then gives purpose and foundation to the functions that we do as humans. Father, I pray for those here in our midst, online. If they don't know you, Spirit, please, I beg you, will you draw them to the beauty and the splendor and the goodness of Jesus and what he has done for them that they might experience redemption? And transformation and where their eyes can now be open to what it truly means to be a human being that has been fashioned and created in the image of God. It's in your name we pray and all God's people said, hey, let's stand and respond through song.